0: the the response mostly was just sort of relief at being asked and knowing that somebody does care enough to change it. And that's kind of, you know, it's what brands should be doing. It's what I encourage brands to do, even if it could potentially put me out of business. (laughs)
1: another episode of the Disabled Debrief podcast with Conscious Being magazine, a podcast to explore high-low subjects, that matter to disabled women and non-binary individuals everywhere. I'm your usual host, journalist and speaker of Lydia Wilkins, and for this episode we will be deep diving into why adaptive fashion matters, usually seen as something frivolous. Adaptive fashion has never been needed more so than ever before. This episode is a conversation with Victoria Jenkins, the founder and CEO of Unhidden Clothing. In this episode, we explore why adaptive fashion matters, as well as why businesses should also care in terms of cost to themselves.
0: Hello, uh, thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. Uh, So I founded Unhidden after um, sort of working in fashion myself but also becoming disabled sort of four years into my career. Um, So Unhidden was founded basically I was in hospital with another woman and she couldn't dress for work, she couldn't dress at home how she wanted to and she couldn't you know she couldn't go out socializing in clothing that she wanted to actually wear and it was just a light bulb moment for me of how I could use you know the skills that I had learned um, for good essentially. So adaptive clothing you know it's it's the lack of is an actual barrier to disabled people having equity and being able to work.
1: You obviously took inspiration from the woman that you met however was there ever a moment a kind of light bulb moment sometimes when it comes to businesses and brands people who go on to found their own business sometimes say oh I've had this light bulb moment where I can see this scenario applying to more than just the one person
0: yeah so yeah gosh you know when I had the initial moment and I I was literally researching from my own hospital bed because initially I'd said to her you know oh someone will be doing this that's so you know this sounds really obvious someone will be doing it and what I found that this was in 2016 and there wasn't very much and it wasn't really aimed at younger people wasn't sustainable I mean sustainability in 2016 was still a relatively underused word rather than now where it's overused so yeah the more you know the more I sort of looked into it and the more I sort of started asking people about what they needed you just sort of realize the scope and you realize the problem that it's like the actual the real impact it's had on people you know I've spoken to you know people like myself who weren't born disabled and overnight are completely unable to wear their own clothing you know it's it's a it's the mental problem of suddenly being, you know, you're feeling vulnerable anyway, but you, you're you suddenly denied that ability to dress how you want to in clothes that you used to find really comfortable um, or that just made you feel special. And I think, you know, the more I looked at it, the more I thought, well, some, something's got to be done about this. And I don't want to keep working for companies where the disabled community is being actively left out. So I'll do it. <laughs> Tell me
1: about the Purple Pound and how this informed your business. Why should we care about this and why is it important?
0: Well yeah the purple pound is certainly a like an important point to cover. So the purple pound is worth I think 249 billion a year in the UK but actually uh, the UK high street loses 267 million pounds a month because it's not accessible and it doesn't have adaptive products. And I think you know especially with everything that's happening at the moment can businesses really afford to actually continue to exclude this market? You know, there's there's spending power there. The adaptive fashion market is estimated to be worth, depending on which bit of research you read. So I'm gonna stick with one that put a big number on it. Uh, it said $353 billion, which far outstrips sustainable, ethical, like it is a massive monumental market. And you know, so you could you could do it from that point, which is why it really frustrates me that brands have been so long to get on board. You, know, you look at that number and think, why would you decide you don't want to serve that market? It just doesn't make business sense. But there's also, you know, there's the human impact side of it. You know, it's, it's needed and it will, like, mu- like with much of the universal design element and all sorts of um, app and text that have been created for disabled people, it will benefit everybody. You know, because there are people that go through temporary disability, you know, they've got a broken leg, can't wear half their clothes for maybe six weeks. They might want something that they can wear during that time or people post surgery you know whether it's not going to be a long-term issue for them but it is you know sort of to have that option other than just sort of going okay well I'm just gonna wear jogging bottoms for the next six weeks fine but I think you know it's just again like you said you were saying earlier it is that assumption that we either we don't want it or we don't need it or that we're not that fast or that we don't work and that's why we don't need this kind of clothing you know like oh we could all just wear jogging bottoms for life I think, you know, those are some of the assumptions that come with the non-disabled community and how they view disability. But I think, it, you know, mostly it just comes from ignorance of people not knowing how many of us there are and them not seeing us like represented in the media or in fashion or in beauty or just anyway. I think it was the Lloyds Banking Group did research into visibility of disability in advertising. and Disability is represented 0.06% of the time. So no wonder people don't know how many of us there are. Because we're not shown. We're literally hidden.
1: This episode of the Disabled Debrief podcast is sponsored by Black Crown Hibiscus Gin. British with an African twist. This is a premium distilled gin, infusing African and Caribbean botanicals with British gin. And listeners can now get 10% off with the code DDP10 make sure you visit blackcrowngin.com. When it comes to designing, what's the process? Can you take us from A to B? So from an idea to a finished product?
0: Uh, yeah. So, I mean, gosh, it's because I've been researching and developing it since 2016. I've forgotten some of the bits that I did to start with, because I've had so many designs banging around my head for six years now, um, so I started with, you know, sort of a really small range of sort of designs that I that I liked. And then I looked at them and said, right, now what needs to happen to these to make them adaptive? So for the dress, for example, you know, I sort of had the silhouette generally and I was like, OK, so I want it to be pull on because that's easier. There's no fiddly zips anywhere. People just pull it over their head. What if they've got a stoma? OK, so then that's when I put the zip across the middle that's kind of hidden so you can't see it. It's going to be double-ended. The initial samples have all been just one-sided, but it will be double-ended because obviously people have stomas in various spots and also for feeding tubes and so on. And then I thought, right, okay, if I'm a wheelchair user, what do I need this skirt to do? And it, you know, people have said that actually quite often sitting down the hem of a dress, even though it's jersey, that can pull against your legs. So I thought, okay, we'll just put splits in the side of the dress, not horribly long ones. But it's like a really small change, but it means that the bottom bit will flap straight down and the front still covers your knee without restricting it and you can still move around freely and all the rest of it. So that was the process for the dress. Um, the trousers, I mean, I sat in them myself, you know, sort of sat in a pair of trousers that I find uncomfortable and thought, okay, what do I need to make them more comfortable? So, like, okay, elasticated back waistband, that's a given. But I was also, I did work with um, a disabled woman who's absolutely amazing she's on telly a lot but i don't want to name drop her because she'd probably hate it but i did work with her to, <laughs> um because we were working on a, a different project so i did develop some trousers with her so i sort of continued that idea um, that we would worked on so that i could sort of form a bit of a basis and a backbone for the seated trousers um, so yeah and then it was a case of asking you know just sort of relentlessly asking people which was actually hard initially like you know I found it a lot easier to ask from my personal account than from Unhidden's account, um, which I didn't even start, I don't think, until about 2018. Because people were like, what's this brand trying to ask me these questions versus a person trying to ask these questions. Um, Whereas now, people, I think, would respond on Unhidden's page, which is great. Um, So yeah, it was just constantly asking, you know, if I was in hospital, asking people on the ward with me, if I was near the nurses, asking them, you know, what what do you think would help uh, just constantly asking other people and getting feedback and then um, you know had the, the photo shoot in September of 2020 when I finally had samples to work with and just found that thankfully you know obviously my job as a garment technologist has been the construction of clothing and how it fits so I think I you know I'm at quite an advantage in that I didn't have to repeat the fit process so many times because most of them were actually good first time round, which was <laughs> a delight and like a very like i was like oh god this shoot could go horribly wrong if nothing fits anybody um but it was yeah it went really well
1: when it came to asking people what was the initial response like what did people think when you said that you'd had an adapted design made up
0: um i mean most people were like oh thank goodness someone's asking you know i think there was um because it's been happening over so many years though i think they're like well, when when are we going to see the result of all of this all of these questions i was like well Um, I don't you know I I don't know basically Um, but yeah the response has been you know I think the thing is you can't keep um, you can't keep everyone within the same disability even happy within one garment you know it's impossible to keep everyone happy so I've done the best that I can I think you know there's some people that have said oh you know I need this element I'm like that's great next range I will begin to incorporate more things this was just sort of the the, not the quickest and easiest way that doesn't really that kind of undermines the process but the first 10 garments that I brought out were just what you know what was really lacking what was really missing and sort of they all work as a point so some of the younger models on the shoot they you know they were like I never thought anything like this was ever going to exist you know and they were like I'm so glad someone is doing it." I mean the frustrating thing for me really is and I have done it from the beginning. Is there are adaptive brands out there that launched before me? Um, I mean, in the UK, there's only there's Kintsugi. Uh, she's still going. She's incredible. She's based in Manchester. So yeah, the the response mostly was just sort of relief at being asked and knowing that somebody does care enough to change it. And that's kind of you know, it's what brands should be doing. It's what I encourage brands to do, even if it could potentially put me out of business. <laughs> uh, but I think it's more important that there is choice. Um, than worrying you know like I think everyone deserves a choice and there's room for everybody you know there's room for Unhidden alongside all these other brands
1: I'd like to ask about your experience giving a TED talk how
0: was that terrifying absolutely terrifying (laughs) (laughs) it was it was awesome Uh, and it was funny I'd at the end of last year I decided right I'm going to put a goal for next year to do a TED talk. And then a friend of mine knows one of the organisers of the Brighton one And said, you know, I can't promise that you'll be in it, but this is who you speak to if you want to apply. And then I spoke to him in early January and he was like, okay, you're in. And I was like, okay, so we're doing it. I'm doing a TED talk. (laughs) So the build-up wasn't, I think it's kind of good. The build-up wasn't very long. Uh, It was like four months, but they really, they look after you. You know, you do have to, You have to show up. We have a WhatsApp group and we all still chat all the other speakers from the day. Um, And they, you know, they do guide you a bit. There's you have rehearsals. They sort of walk you through how to build a talk and all the rest of it. I mean, on the actual day, I think half of it went out my head. Um, And I decided in a a vision of I didn't want to be scared, um, I suppose is the right way of saying it. So I took my glasses off so I couldn't see the audience, basically. But what that also meant was that I couldn't see the countdown timer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think mine's a very short TED talk I think it's uh, 10 minutes maybe a bit more but uh, I even I like I had to really remember to speak slower because I do talk really fast um, but no it was good and it, like the reaction afterwards was really amazing sort of walking around and people sort of stopping me to say I really enjoyed it um, one of the one of the volunteers at the event has a stoma and she's never seen anyone talk openly about disability in that way so she was really affected. And then her mum sent me a message on Instagram as well, saying like, you've made such an impact on her. Um, she, you know, she feels a lot more confident about being disabled and the fact that she'll be able to work in the, the area that she wants to. I was like, oh, oh, like, you know, it's worth it just for that. But yeah, right before going out, my legs were literally sort of juddering and I ha- I wore ridiculously high heels and literally like my heels were sort of tapping on, <laughs> on the stage floor because I was so nervous, but it went by in a in a breeze, you know. And I'm I'm glad I did it. And
1: one final question. Are there any other projects that you are currently working on or that are upcoming that we should watch out for?
0: Um, So I'm doing a collaboration with Style for Stroke, which is a charity um, that was founded by Nick Ead after his mother um, sadly passed away from a stroke about 20 years ago. So he does a collaboration once a year with various brands um, just to make slogan T-shirts and raise awareness of, you know, people who have a stroke and who go on to hopefully go on to live you know almost full lives but that's a terrible way of putting it actually but essentially it's to raise awareness around strokes and that it's not just about old people it's about younger people and sort of the impact that it has so on June the 11th we are going to be on the official london fashion week schedule because of my connection with the bfc because i'm a member um so it's just going to be a preview of the the t-shirts and i will have unhidden's existing collection there so it's it's only going to be new in sense of the t-shirts but um we'll both be there and you know we're going to basically just spread the word so that's that's thing number one um i am in terms of events i'm speaking at the um disability business forum on the 29th of june uh, which is exciting i'm actually doing a talk next week at the evening standards sme expo in olympia at five past three more about sustainability but how adaptive design is more sustainable so that's always a fun topic for me to cover Um, i do have the licensing rights now to use paw patrol and SpongeBob SquarePants on kids adaptive wear. So I will be developing that range, which I hope will be out in the autumn, which is very exciting. Uh, And then I can't say who with yet, but I'm working with a Paralympian and we're gonna bring out a range um, during September fashion week. And in September, I'm also going over to the States to show over there. And there'll be a much bigger range that will then also be in a big event here as well. So with the kids wear range, um, the plan is I'm gonna start organizing and sort of setting up the the meetings today. Essentially, I want to do feedback, um, you know, sort of focus group feedback sessions before I even get anything made with parents of disabled kids, disabled kids themselves and disabled parents, because there's also, you know, like they need to be able to dress children easier as well. So I want to speak to as many people as I can, and then ideally be in a position where I could then reward them all with a set of the collection where it's you know where it's appropriate or it's items that they need uh, when it when it launches so that is something that if anyone listening you know sort of wants to reach out i will put a social media post out about it and i'll try and make sure that it's visible on the website as well but me and the website are not friends so <laughs> i've done my absolute best with um coding and hiring other people that know little you know bits of coding that i needed but it's not it's not perfect it's being it's going to be rebuilt soon um, So, yeah, reach out if you do have things that you, you know, that you've struggled with, that you want to see that I can help.